Welcome to Scoop with Steve Football. data scientist uh, fresh off uh, about uh, 50 hours of note taking and film watching this week so I had an absolute blast uh, so good to be caught up on all the week one film it was a spectacular week of football I love getting the NFL season started so model is uh, recalibrated and we've got uh, new numbers ready to go for week two so ready to go but uh, a couple quick uh, housekeeping notes before I jump into the show um, first off thank you uh, for the uh, subscriber questions awesome to get those and you know keep those rolling in I will definitely answer them I love talking football so Getting questions from folks like uh, Dylan O'Shea with a couple of good questions about the Jaguars and then one about the model that I will get to and I'm going to do another uh, subscriber questions uh, you know, episode either Sunday or Monday where I'll get to some of Dylan's uh, questions about how I tune the model during the offseason and what that process has been like. So, uh, And in the meantime, I'll also talk about the uh, Jaguars play calling uh, during the course of this uh, show. So yeah, I mean, great, great day to be alive this Saturday. It's, uh, you know, sun is rising and I get to uh, drive down to Boulder today. I'm currently at an Air and be up in Fort Collins, but uh, my youngest brother, who's a videographer, does a lot of work with the NFL. Um, yeah, also works with a, a private receivers coach, uh, Drew, Drew Lieberman in the sideline hustle. So uh, his guys are always fun to watch. Uh, but uh, he's going to be filming the uh, Buffs game down in uh, Boulder. He's an alum. So, you know, he had a wedding last weekend, so he didn't do the uh, the opener against Nebraska, but he'll be there for CSU CU. So going to go visit him down in Boulder. So super amped for that today. But let's get into uh, week two in the NFL here. Um, all right, I'm going to share my screen here to uh, get the um slides up all right and oh you know the last uh, bit of housekeeping here as i set this up um I am going to have some uh, week three look-aheads to look at and uh, look-aheads to look at. Um, there's a bunch of totals that I think are really interesting for week three. As you'll see on this week's show, it's going to be a lot more about sides. I think that there are several teams that I have a pretty different perception of than the market after watching the film. Uh, but yeah, those week three look-aheads will be available to uh, my paid uh, subscribers over at uh, Substack, which is where I've got all my premium content. So if you're interested in that, uh, hop over and, and sign up. It, it works out to two bucks a week uh, during the football season uh, for the annual price and uh, same price if you want to go monthly. So just want to make it easy for everyone. But that'll be something available to premium subscribers, those look ahead numbers, which is uh, one of my very favorite things to do in terms of the gambling market. So, all right. Um, oh, and uh, last note, um, before we get going, uh, 2023 to date after the Thursday night games, I've got two uh, different unit numbers for y'all. Um, I'm going to give you the actual book prices and, and and what I am actually up on units uh, at prices I can buy. But a lot of really good gambling shows I listen to do their units math based on plus 100 bets. Um, yeah, they're always saying that, you, you, yeah, it's just one unit. I don't know where you can get these bets. Uh, I have to pay minus 110. If anybody knows these books that, you know, just give plus 100 bets as like kind of the standard, let me know because I will definitely check that out. But uh, in, in terms of uh, the book prices, uh, after uh, week one in the Thursday night game, uh, I am up 0.43 units, so whopping half a unit. And, and then uh, according to the uh, gambling show comparison number where I'm just adding, you know, 10 cents, uh, I'm up 1.15 units. So, you know, that just speaks to kind of the discrepancy that you can get. You know, it doesn't seem like a lot, 10 cents a bet or um but over the course of a season, obviously that, that that's significant. So I want to be, you know, just more straightforward because, you know, I'm not trying to trick anyone. I'm just trying to talk football, you know. Um, 
All right. So with that said, oh, and yeah, I guess last thought on week one, like I'm cool with that. Uh, week one is Trixie. That's why I, I only play one unit bets in week one. That's going to change uh, big time here. Last year, I had a ton of closing line value going into week one and overplayed it. But some of that closing line value was on stuff like the Denver spread and the Denver Seattle total. And it did not work out so well once Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett got going. So I just, you know, uh, try to enter the season uh, holding my opinions a little more loosely until we actually see these teams in action. So with all that said, let's get into Baltimore, Cincinnati. So key theme for this game, I, I think it's got to be the Ravens are missing key parts of the flock here. So, you know, on offense, they are going to be missing left tackle Ronnie Stanley and center Tyler Linderbaum, who both went down late in that win against Houston. Just, uh, uh, you know, so unfortunate to see that happen on, you know, I'll get to how they were building, but then on defense, as concerning Marcus Williams, the uh, free safety, who's so rangy, is not going to be available for this game. And, you know, I'm not so sure about these Baltimore cornerbacks. So I think that that could, uh, you know, be a real issue here. So getting into what I'm looking for when Baltimore has the ball this week, can they build on their second half minus uh, Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum? I was, uh, uh, my notes about the Ravens at halftime were not good. I was really frustrated watching this offense in the first half. I felt like they had no rhythm. I felt like they weren't using Lamar Jackson really as a run threat. I felt like Tyler Linderbaum hadn't really been getting out. I didn't feel like they were using him as a weapon in the pole game, uh, their, their super mobile center. And I felt like they didn't really have much rhythm in the passing game either. Like it just wasn't working, but then I felt like they did find their rhythm on, on, I guess it was the one scoring drive in the first half where they started getting Zay Flowers involved on those jet sweeps. And then, you know, from there, I, I thought it got uh, significantly better in the second half. And it felt like uh, Todd Monken and Lamar Jackson kind of are feeling each other out. And I thought that this is an offense that definitely made progress in the second half. And I thought you saw some things coming together. I think that as the game went on, they figured out that Zay Flowers is their best player, the stud wide receiver. I mean, the rookie is just unbelievable. I mean, he uncovers at every level of the field crazy quick uh, with the ball in his hands. He is just, you know, shooting all over the place. Uh, and then, you know, OBJ Rashad Bateman got involved as the game went on. So, you know, we'll see if Mark Andrews plays, but um, you know, I, I, I was encouraged by that second half for the Ravens in, in terms of what, uh, where they're at and thought Lamar Jackson made some nice throws in that game. So um Flipping over to when Cincinnati has the ball. Now, the Bengals are coming off just a, a, a tough performance. Now they went up against, we'll talk about Cleveland's defense later. Whew. A lot of pass rush, a lot of coverage on the back end. Uh, I don't think the Ravens bring any of that. I, you know, I, they simply don't have a Miles Garrett. They don't have a Zedarius Smith. Um, you know, I think the Ravens to generate a lot of pressure are, you know, are going to have to, you know, scheme things up. I think that, you know, bringing Roquan Smith is probably your best bet. I mean, Roquan Smith was just, I mean absolute demon last game he was on a different level I mean he, he seems to just have taken another jump just more comfort in the system I mean what a stud but um you know moving on uh you know I, I, the, the major concern though is, is you know besides the, the lack of pass rushes is these Baltimore cornerbacks against the, the Cincinnati wide receivers because I mean you know you got Ronald Darby starting on the on one outside corner for Baltimore and you know even the Houston receivers you know were, were you know making some plays on them as the game went on. And you weren't necessarily expecting that out of Tank Dell and Robert Woods and Nico Collins in week one. Um, so, you know, I think that when you had Kyle Hamilton and Marcus Williams in the, in the back end, that was really going to help mitigate this situation until Marlon Humphrey's back. But, you know, I, 
not certain that he's going to play with that foot injury. And even if he is back, is he really ready to go after two weeks? So I think that, and even if he is, what are you doing in the slot and what are you doing at the other corner spot? So, so we'll see. I think that, you know, especially with Baltimore having a win in pocket, Cincinnati, uh, not, you know, I think that there's a good chance that you see the Bengals respond this week for the X factor. I went with quarterback Joe Burrow, obviously just, a, you know, that was just a miserable game for the Bengals. Um, you know, they were close a lot of times. I mean, there were shots to, you know, uh, Jamar Chase in particular that I can think of where, you know, he was just a tick, you know, further and, you know, they almost have the play. So I think that the Bengals are very likely to bounce back this week. I didn't feel like anybody played terrible, Thought the offensive line looks like it's going to be better than it was last year with, you know, Jonah Williams seemed just fine moving over to right tackle. I didn't notice him, you know, looking unbelievably uncomfortable. So I, th- I think that you'll see the Bengals uh, get it going in this game. So this is one I'm way off on the market on. And, you know, I'm fine with that. I've got, you know, Cincinnati minus 7.8 in this game. Uh, the projection for those of you listening is a Cincinnati 28.2 to Baltimore 20.39 and, and the total at, at 48.59. So the, the books have this at Cincinnati minus three and, and the total at 46 and a half, which, um, yeah, this looked a lot different. Um, <laughs> In terms of my uh, model's projection, um, it was a lot closer to that uh, before the news about the injuries to the Ravens. And I just, you know, see them missing critical players. I mean, and, and, you know, maybe center's not a, you know, critical position per se, but uh, or safety. uh, But Marcus Williams and and Tyler Linderbaum are incredibly important to this particular Ravens team. And then obviously missing Ronnie Stanley is tough. So, you know, I've got the play on Cincinnati at the minus three for for two units there. And I also think survivor candidates wise, I think Cincinnati is is some a team to look at uh, this week. You know, um, depends on how you're looking at the whole season. I think that they'll have some other opportunities. They will play the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get to them later. Uh, But, you know, it, it. it's a team I've at least got on my list here. So, but the play is Cincinnati minus three at two units there. So, all right, moving on to Indianapolis at Houston. All right. So the key theme, which rookie uh, at quarterback, I should have written that in there, uh, settles in faster. So, you know, looking at week one, I think that Anthony Richardson, you saw all the tools on display. Um, What I love seeing about Richardson though, more than anything is just his ability to decisively respond to what he is seeing. Uh, You know, we saw that on that, uh, that, uh, route to Josh Downs, where you know they they bring an exchange pressure there, right? Where they're they're bringing the illusion of pressure, but really it's you've got guys dropping out, and in the end you're just bringing four guys and, and playing zone behind it. And you know Richardson's ability to not look overwhelmed in those situations and to just play football, um, it, it was really impressive to me. He's a guy that you know I just uh, you flip it over and you look at like how indecisive a Trey Lance looked in even the preseason this year. Anthony Richardson strikes me as the opposite of that. He's just willing to turn it loose. He, he trusts what he sees. Now he's going to have to clean up the accuracy issues in, in some of the short area throws and everything like that. But, you know, I just really enjoyed what I saw from Anthony Richardson. I think he's, you know, ran the ball well um, also. So, you know, he needs to, you know, obviously protect himself from the big hits, but that was his first game in the NFL. He's getting used to the speed. Hopefully this, he figures it out quick because he's got so much talent. Um, and then CJ Stroud, you know, just, it, it was a little bit of a slow start, but I was honestly, you know, given that the Texans put up nine points, I didn't know what to expect um, from CJ Stroud. And uh, I was actually, you know, pleasantly surprised. I thought he made some really good throws. Um, You know, he, he, 
has a level of calmness to him, even in a situation where they are, you know, this offensive line that was supposed to be kind of the strength of the offense. Well, they're missing the right tackle. They're missing the left guard. They're missing the center. And and they are not playing with, with uh, great players at the, at those positions Um, in relief with Josh Jones or Jarrett Patterson or, um, or our guy, George Fant uh, out on the, out on the right tackle. I almost put that as an X factor. So, um, you know, I, but I think that, you know, Stroud's coming along and, and, you know, uh, Tank Dell and, and Nico Collins um, and, Actually, honestly, Robert Woods, I, I thought they were all pleasant surprises in week one, uh, despite the numbers. So um, when Indianapolis uh, has the ball, I'll, I'll be looking at, can we find a running back? I, I mean, I think that Deion Jackson played, honestly, the, the worst uh, game I've ever seen a running back play last week. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. He's just pitter-pattering in the back backfield. I don't know if he doesn't feel like he needs to run the ball. I don't know what that is. I was writing about how I thought it was the worst game I'd seen after he dropped an angle route. And, and that was right before they gave him the ball on fourth and one which blew me away. And, and then he gets stripped by Tyson Campbell. So, um, I mean, it, it, you should be able to find a better running back than, than that. You should be able to stumble over one. So, um, you know, I, I hopefully Deion Jackson rebounds if he does have more talent in him, but that was a rough game to watch and uh, really hurt Indianapolis with the offensive line playing well. And Anthony Richardson consistently uh, providing a run threat in Shane Steichen's offense. So uh, the other thing I'll throw in there is Will Anderson versus the Colts. Will Anderson is a lot of fun to watch, uh, you know, involved in, the quarterback hit that, you know, winds up in a, an interception early for the, uh, for the uh, Texans defense. And then, you know, got, got a sack late. I mean, he is uh, running the hoop on Morgan Moses there. Uh, just a really fun player to watch. Uh, Ben's better than um, I think some folks, uh, some draft analysts um, might've led you to believe he, he can get around the edge a little bit. I heard uh, JJ Watt raving about that on the Pat McAfee. So, and uh, you know, JJ is obviously better person to speak to that than me. So, but definitely saw what he's seen with uh, Will Anderson being a stud. So uh, when Houston has the ball, my question is, can Houston's interior line handle the force Buckner and Grover Stewart? Because Jacksonville's uh, certainly couldn't uh, Jags guard uh, Ben Barch really had a rough time in particular. And, you know, Houston, as I mentioned, they're, they're starting essentially backups at left guard center and right tackle. So, you know, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, uh, Quiddy Pay plays over the the right tackle an awful lot for the Colts. So, you know, this is an opportunity. He's going to be playing against George Fant. You know, if you're first round pick uh, and, and you want to put up some production, you're not going to get a better opportunity. So the X factor, I'd say, is Michael Pittman versus Derek Stingley. I'm hoping that we get this matchup consistently on the outside. I'm hoping Stingley follows him around. You know, Pittman was um, and Downs were really the only two legit receiving threats for the Colts last week. Um, you know, Alec Pierce, he just can't separate. Um, so you know, it just makes things tough. And, and, and then the, the tight ends, it's just kind of a, you know, a, a rotation with Ogletree and Ali Cox and Branson all getting in the mix. So, um, you know, I think that that whether or not Pittman can uh, uncover against Derek Stinley is going to go a long way because the Texans, you know, they've got some holes on the rest of the defense. I, I'm not sure that the Colts are the team to take advantage of that. But, uh, you know, that Pittman uh, Stingley matchup, if Stingley can erase Pittman, uh, there might not be much in the passing game. So model has this at Houston 20.52 to Indy 20.39 Houston favored by a whopping 0.13 points. Um, so that's total coin flip game as the books have shown, this is flop back and forth, you know, take a point to the one team or the other uh, total is at 40.91. The, the, the books have that at 39.5. I'll just pass on this one. I think that is generally right. Um, all right. Green Bay at Atlanta. All right. Uh, so Keithy Atlanta got a win. How many more can they get with this formula? Because that was amazing that they won that game, Um, to be frank. um, You know, if B. John Robinson is, is not just Superman on that swing screen early where they get the short field, I mean, he was tackled for a loss on third down. Um, And 
he's just a freak show and he breaks three tackles and, and scores a touchdown. And yeah, Bijan Robinson is an absolute freak show. I do not think that relying on him and Tyler Algier to break this many tackles and have this many explosive runs. I just don't know how sustainable a formula that is when you have a quarterback who, I mean, Desmond Ritter was not involved in the run game at all. I mean, he's not a a threat to run the ball. He's not faking it. Now that speaks to how damn impressive the offensive line is and how well uh, B. John Robinson and and Tyler Algier and and real quick Algier, who was so efficient last year. uh, I think he looks like he's got like maybe five to 10% more juice. And that's a huge thing for him because he was just so average in that regard. I felt like he had a a little more uh, get, get up and go to him. I thought that he was, you know, a little shiftier. And I mean, he was already, his vision's just outstanding. So they've got such a good uh, running back tandem there. But, you know, can you live with just not throwing the ball and having a quarterback who, I mean, the, the ball to Kyle Pitts that he puts up down the field, that one ends up looking like it's on target, but, but those can be a little bit harder to tell. When you're talking about things like 10-yard stop routes, I mean, everything was thrown on his receiver's hips. He just made life tough on them. So if you've got a defense that's teeing off and they honestly don't think that you can throw the ball. I just don't know that this is going to work um, on a week to week basis. I th- think they they need to, you know, have something to threaten down the field because, you know, they, they got the win in this one, but it was not pretty. And they relied on some short fields. And I mean, just, you know, the Carolina finally given out in the end, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was crazy. So <laughs> anyways, let, uh, let's hop into when Green Bay has the ball, what, what I'm going to be looking at now, Green Bay, it looks like they're going to be playing without Aaron Jones and Christian Watson, which certainly limits their explosiveness. But what I'm going to be looking at is cornerback uh, 33, Trey Flowers, who is Atlanta's right defensive cornerback. Uh, he didn't give up plays in this game, but that had a lot to do with Carolina's receivers. Um, You know, I thought I'll get to Bryce Young later on, but um. Trey Flowers got smoked uh, from the one yard line by Jonathan Mingo, though, uh, when he was manned up on him and and Bryce Young just flat out missed a 99 yard touchdown pass that would have tied this game uh, at 17 um, from a clean pocket. It was that was a tough miss for Bryce Young in a game where he was, you know, otherwise reasonably accurate, um, you know, did did get baited by Jesse Bates. We'll get to that later. But um. You know, I I just am really concerned about, uh, you know, whether or not Trey Flowers is going to be able to hold up uh, once, you know, they're facing a, a Green Bay offense that has seen that on film and can plan some things out and and is like, you know, is going to have a quarterback in Jordan Love who did not look nearly as overwhelmed as Bryce Young did in his first start. And, you know, uh, and um and then I guess the other thing when Green Bay has the ball to, to keep an eye on is safety Jesse Bates. Now, Jesse Bates gets two picks from, um, you know, Bryce Young. We'll talk about those in detail a little bit later, but really great disguise and bait on the first one. And then the second one, I just don't really understand how Bryce Young thought he could throw a dig route into man free with AJ Terrell and outside coverage leverage, right? Like it's just baiting for the free safety to come down on their route. So that's just a rookie mistake. Um, yeah, I think that Jordan Love is less likely to make those. So we'll, we'll see if Green Bay uh, keeps it rolling on offense here. When Atlanta has the ball, I'm going to be looking. I, I said to defensive tackle De- Devontae Wyatt, who had, I think, a really nice game in, in his uh, second season debut last week um, in terms of you know stepping up from last year. But I'm talking about the Green Bay front in general, honestly. Um, obviously, Atlanta wants to run the ball. Uh, you know, can, can the Packers, you know, come up with a good scheme to handle this? Can they step up and, and, and you know, shut down this run game um i think that shutting down the pass game i mean they've got some guys that match up well i mean you know drake london for his one target um he's got to be thrilled about his role in this offense um you know rasul douglas is a great matchup for him in terms of body types and then if you stick jair alexander on matt collins when they're in two wide receiver sets i I don't think matt collins is getting open so you know we'll see how that that works out but uh you know the key thing green bay has to stop the run 
uh, the X factor I'm going with is a quarterback Jordan Love versus a uh, quarterback Desmond Ritter. And, you know, there's just a huge gulf there. Jordan Love, extremely impressive in, in his first game action. Um, the decision making I thought was just outstanding. And, you know, Chicago's defense is not good. Uh, we'll get to that later uh, in, in any way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I thought Love's decision making was really strong. A couple of balls in, in terms of placement that he would probably like to have back, like the two out routes to, to Jaden Reed in particular. Um, but, you know, all things considered really strong debut and he definitely had some some balls that he wired in there so you know you balance out a couple you'd like to have back with some some dimes that jordan love was able to drop so uh this is another one just way off the market um because i i see atlanta and the win that they got very differently than a lot of people seem to see it uh you know i think aj terrell is still a one-man defense out there you know jesse bates got those, those two picks but again I, that had a lot to do with playing a rookie quarterback bates you know he was also involved in the forced fumble i, I don't know it was hard to tell on film exactly who got that out bates gets the credit but um and and certainly that's awesome that he was making those plays but it's not like i felt like Jesse Bates was necessarily a hugely impactful player in this game. The biggest thing was that Carolina just lacks receivers who can uncover. And, uh, you know, they also had a quarterback who's just in his first start. So, and, and, you know, beyond that Carolina marched the ball better than you might think the first drive of the game, they drive down, uh, get stopped on third and one and then fourth and one where they could have kicked a field goal. Um, and then, you know, the missed pass by, by Bryce Young, you know, there were just opportunities left on the field. They had another uh, a fumble by Miles Sanders later in the game. So um, it, it wasn't as if the Atlanta defense stopped Carolina from moving the ball. They, they definitely stopped them from scoring, but, you know, always good to keep in mind, those are two different things. So, you know, model has this at Green Bay 24.8 to Atlanta 18.65, you know, Green Bay minus 6.15 and, and a total of 43.45. Um, the books have this at, at Atlanta minus two and a total of 40 right now. So, you know, it is what it is. I see this differently and and we'll kind of, you know, we'll, I'll figure it out. The market will figure it out with, with the result from this game and, and seeing how these two teams look against each other in week two. But I didn't didn't think Atlanta was impressive at all in week one. So I'm actually uh, with this move into Atlanta minus two. It wasn't minus one and a half. I was just going to, you know, um, play, play the Green Bay side. But I'll, I'll do the Green Bay money line now that it's up to plus 114. So I'm going to make that a two unit bet at plus 114. And uh, then uh, I'll go over 40 uh, for one unit at the, the and then. It's just, you know, standard minus 110 is what we're assuming with spreads and totals here. So uh, also throwing Green Bay in there as a survivor pool candidate. Um, they'll have some other matchups that, that are probably appealing. But, you know, I do not think this Atlanta Falcons team uh, was impressive at all. Um, maybe Arthur Smith gets me, though. So. All right. Chicago at Tampa Bay. Uh, so key theme. Can Chicago invent a time machine and send Luke Getze back to January? Um I'm going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and how disappointing their offense was uh, later in this show. Uh, Chicago took the cake. Absolutely unbelievable to watch what they were doing on offense, um, especially going back through the film. I mean, the quarterback-centric run game is just apparently not part of it. I mean, Justin Fields essentially led them in rushing yards by scrambling. It was not him working the option game. And I just simply do not understand when I watch Indianapolis's offense and look at the system that they have put Anthony Richardson into and all the things they do that take advantage of his strengths and his ability to draw the defense's attention with his legs. I'm just blown away watching, um, you know, the, the Chicago offense. And, you know, I, I came away from it thinking, you know, it, I wasn't sure what it looked like, but then I ended up watching Dallas, you know, shortly after, and it looks so much like Mike McCarthy's offense down there. And you go back through Luke Getzey's history and he spent a lot of time under Mike McCarthy. And I just don't know how to explain this, like what they're thinking here. Um, I, 
it wasn't the offense I expected. Let's just put it that way. And I'm really low on this team moving forward. Justin Fields looked so uncomfortable by the end of the game. And, and you know, in terms of Justin Fields, are, were there opportunities in the first half, especially where there were open receivers down the field and he simply did not see and turn the ball loose to? Yes, 100%. There's no getting around that. However, Justin Fields consistently threw the ball on target this game. He made throws down the field on target. He can throw the ball where he wants to when he sees it. So it's on his offensive coordinator to present him with looks. There's a great Ross Tucker football podcast where Sage Rosenfels, the former NFL quarterback, is on talking about the Kyle Shanahan offense and how the offense basically makes the quarterback's decisions so much of the time because your feet take you to this read and then this read and the looks are just presented to you. This was the, they're just, you know, running schemes. I don't know what to, uh, so anyway, when Chicago has the ball, let's get into that. Uh, is there a plan B? Um, I don't know. The plan A sucked. Um, you know, I guess there was a plan. How do you not get DJ more the ball more? I mean, they were just letting him line up and have Jair Alexander over him the whole game. When you're watching the, the Miami Dolphins and the way they're motioning their guys, it's just negligence to not be doing that kind of stuff to get the ball in DJ Moore's hands where Jair Alexander isn't lurking to come cut off a slant route. It's not like this stuff is not on film that every single team can watch. I have no idea what you're doing. When DJ Moore did have the ball in his hands, he looked like a freak. I mean, he was, broke tackles on, on both of his catches there where he catches the flat, he catches the slant route, and then, you know, that's it for him. Um, so, you know, I just, as you can hear, uh, you know, a little bit exasperated. I thought the O-line was fine from a talent perspective. Um, it, I just, you know, this this whole scheme just, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I, I was just blown away. Uh, so anyway, when Tampa Bay has the ball, can Tampa Bay's offensive line get into a group? Um, yeah, I think that when you're looking at the Chicago defensive line, it is not a great group. Um, it just, you know, a lot of draft picks that you're hoping develop as the season goes on, but they just didn't have a lot of juice. I mean, there was just no pass rush on, on the um, Jordan Love. It, um, and now the Green Bay Packers have a very good offensive line. Um, so can Tampa Bay, you know, get that same performance? Tristan Wirfs looking awesome at left tackle. Um, and then the rest of the offensive line, you know, it was a, you know, solid, solid to good day against, a, you know, Minnesota the defensive line that is, you know, uh, that Minnesota defense obviously lacking in some things after Thursday night. But, um, you know, I think that if Chicago's or if Tampa Bay's offensive line can really get into a groove this game, both pass protecting and running the ball, then I think that you're going to see the uh, Tampa Bay advantage at receiver. So um, in, in terms of the X factor, I'm going with quarterback Baker Mayfield, who played a really clean game last week. Uh, you heard him uh, saying that he had figured out their decoded their signals. And, you know, just my 10 cents on that. It, one reason that he's able to do that is that just on film i mean all the stuff that flores was doing out of out of the this show cover zero look where the vikings have everybody up blitzing and then all their guys back with no safety help uh, playing off coverage well they were you know more or less rolling to cover two or or, or a two robber with with a buzz player in a drop eight or they were you know playing it a lot of the time so i think that in terms of those guys communicating when they were in that formation and him picking up that signal pretty clear, you know, response protocol, right? So you see that sometimes, I mean, I remember Ryan Fitzpatrick picking up, um, gosh, uh, 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 um, his name is slipping my mind. The, the guy who is the Jets defensive coordinator, the big blitz guy. Anyway, I'll, I'll think of that sometime, but, um, yeah, I, th I think that, you know, it, if Baker Mayfield can continue to play well and his receiver should have the advantage on the outside, uh, then, it, then it should be a good game for him. It'll be oh, one, one last thought on Tampa Bay. Yeah, I don't know why Coke plays so much. I don't know why he plays inline tight end. He looks like a fullback to me. I'm not 
you know, that, that's odd to me that he's featured so much and gets so many targets. So I don't know if you're a Coquie fan out there, uh, you know, let me know in the comments. So uh, projection, I've got this at Tampa Bay, 23.68 to Chicago, 17.54. This is, you know, a third game that we're talking about where I'm just way off on, on the way things are looking here. Obviously, I was much higher on Chicago going into the season, but this is holding loosely to your opinions. I didn't see at all what I thought I would see from Chicago. So I'm letting go of that. Um, this has, you know, Tampa Bay at minus 6.14 and a total of 41.22 the books have this at tampa bay minus two and a half and, and, and a total of 41 now i'm going minus two and a half on tampa bay at one unit because you know who knows maybe the the bears do change something up but i, I think that with tampa bay you know having a suffocating defense up front they should be able to snuff out especially this conventional run game that chicago tried to throw at green bay which did not work very well um so, you know, I, th I think that uh, Tampa Bay has a good chance to win this game and just have more confidence in their plan on offense. And, you know, I just thought Justin Fields looked absolutely dejected as the game went on. And then he's just sitting back there trying to, you know, process full field reads. And, you know, that's that's his weakness. That's where he needs help. That's where he needs to be propped up as a player. And, and yeah, I just can't imagine if, say, Mike McDaniel had come in and, and he had to scheme up an offense for Justin Fields that it would look anything like this. So um, the other one we're going to look at here, I'm going uh, to make to Tampa Bay, Chicago under 41, that the official uh, scoop of Steve bet uh, just for bookkeeping purposes. But I'm looking specifically at the second half of this game. There is a forecast for thunderstorms to roll in. Uh, love using the uh, Roto uh, weather tool from Roto wire they do a great job of breaking it down hour by hour so uh the, i'm just going to play that under um you know counting on the rain being there and and the model more or less has this at you know 41.22 versus 41 so it likes the under anyway and then i also think that tampa bay is a survivor candidate this week i don't know how many weeks that's going to be true for because i don't think this is a super high-end team but you know, i think chicago looks like a bottom five team again and you know it's very disappointing uh after their offseason to, to see them look like this because I, I think that there is a lot of talent on this team and it was just disappointing to see the position they were put in um all right, so we are on to Kansas City at Jacksonville. Hey, much more positive theme here. I love talking about this stuff. All right, welcome back, Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. I missed you. You know, I love watching great players on film. And just to decide, like, I'm not really a fan of any team anymore. My old man's from Wisconsin, so that's like the family team and all. But I'm sitting here watching film all week. I just want to say, see players make plays. I wish that there was a way to turn off injuries in the NFL so we could just get every team's best players from the last 50 years and play NFL Legends games every week. That would be incredible film to watch. So um, I'm happy Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones are back. I'm sure Jaguars fans, not so much. They could have, you know, taken a week, right? But um, anyway, when Kansas City has the ball, what am I going to be looking at? I'm going to be looking at how Jacksonville uh, attacks these offensive of tackles now the jacksonville jaguars probably know juan taylor better than most right they uh, had him last year we got to see jack uh juan taylor's a uh, very unique uh way of lining up in that first week um which oh man tough for the refs to not call that till late but uh and and then you've also uh you know got donovan smith over at left tackle who he just he just looks uh like he said I mean, his better his best days are behind him because this guy was you know solid at at his uh, best um and you know he was just consistently getting beat um against the Lions last week so I think that's concerning so yeah I think Kansas City is probably gonna you know hopefully uh it's a 
you know, um, our, our, our guy, Isaiah Pacheco, uh, starting at running back. Cause I felt like they were a totally different offense when he was in as a, a post to Clyde Edwards, Alaire. very confused as to why Edwards, Alaire started that game. But I think that Kansas city, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see maybe their offensive tackles can handle Josh Allen, who had the weirdest three sack game ever. Um, and, and then, uh, Trayvon Walker, um, you know, I say that about Josh Allen because his sacks, two of them were, were hustle sacks, uh, one, one, um, in pursuit all the way around the hoop, one along the sidelines. And then his third sack he drops in coverage to the flat and you know he comes up on scramble drill to get the sack so just you know no no knock on josh allen it was just a weird way to get three sacks right so um you know it's just going to be interesting can, can kansas city's offensive tackles handle you know uh, two edge rushers who you know josh allen has been you know a plus player and, and trayvon walker has been you know all right but um you know we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes um and then obviously it'd be good to see travis kelsey back because kansas city just I, they tried a bunch of different stuff, but you know, Kadarius Tony obviously did not really live up to expectations, nor did Sky Moore uh, taking on a more prominent role. So we'll see how they look behind Travis Kelsey. Uh, when Jacksonville has the ball, you know, I'm going to be looking specifically at right tackle Anton Harrison. And, and the reason I say that is that, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to need to survive this early part of the season. I feel like, um, you know, they, once they get uh, Cam Robinson back at left tackle, I don't think Cam Robinson is, you know, first team all pro by any means, but he is definitely um, a solid left tackle. And I think that's going to help a lot of things because hopefully they can move Walker a little into, into the inside because, you know, at, at at le the left guard just had a really rough rough time of it last week and then you know you're looking at starting Tyler Shatley at, at right guard this week and, and you know Tyler Shatley's fine uh but you know there's a reason he's not a starter so I think that you know Luke Fortner the center play continues to play well I mean just you know knocks out one more game and 100 snaps after playing them all as a rookie and then you know at right tackle um you know Anton Harrison is the one to me who you know I thought he was you know reasonably solid did get um uh beat on on the hoop there i think that was a um quit quitty pay who beat him on kind of a second effort play on the hoop but anton harrison had him initially before he uh, uh you know let the defender come back under him and you know i didn't think by any means he looked overwhelmed or like a guy who shouldn't be out there and that's so big for these rookies in week one so i'm interested to watch how anton harrison grows because i think the left tackle the left guard the right guard spot until brandon scherf's back they're kind of are what they are so they just need to hold on for reinforcements with Scherf and, and uh walker little uh or, or and cam robinson coming back and and you know hopefully that will allow these skill players to really shine through so x factor i'm going with if the jags run the ball does the play calling get into rhythm so I, I thought a big reason, you know, I got a question from subscriber Dylan O'Shea about the play calling and Doug Peterson handing it off to Press Taylor. And real quickly, if you can do this successfully, I think it's a huge advantage to have the head coach not tied into one side of the ball during the game. I think that that's the guy you want managing it. Uh, you know, I think that that way he can keep his, you know, pulse on the heartbeat of the whole team, kind of manage how the offense is playing in conjunction with the defense, in conjunction with the special teams. Now, I'm not suggesting Andy Reid give up play calling duties, right? If you're that special, then, um, you know, I think it's great it, uh, to keep or, you know, if you're that special, keep calling plays. But, you know, if Doug Peterson feels like Press Taylor can can execute the offense that they're designing together and make the right play calls, then, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um you know, I thought that it was a tough week for Press Taylor because the Jaguars just didn't really run the ball with very much, you know, rhythm. Um, and it's it's tough to kind of get, you know, play calls going when, when you're not getting that uh, in, in the mix. But, you know, we'll see. There were definitely a couple sequences, the three runs by Tank Bigsby where – 
I don't hate any one of the runs in the va- in a vacuum, but when you do all three of those in a row, that wasn't great. Um, and, and then just a, a random aside, you know, Trevor Lawrence for a six six quarterback, he needs to get better at, at the quarterback sneak because he wasn't able to take advantage of some open a gaps in the quarterback sneak game, and that should be the type of gimme that it used to be for Tom Brady for Trevor Lawrence. That just is is silly, and that's such an a great weapon to have that if they don't cover an a gap in a, in a sneak situation that you just take that, that should be a 90% play. And, and Trevor Lawrence got stuffed on two of those. So, um, you know, I think that's something for him to work on personally that will help the play calling in the short yardage as well. So, you know, there were definitely aspects I didn't love. I, I didn't like the screen pass on, on the and one situation. I just don't like that. That's in, in the plan. Um, but you know, at the same time, one thing to to remember about play calling is that it's not as if Press Taylor is just going in and playing Madden, right? Like, and, and he's just like throwing stuff out. The staff is working together. You have all these situations, right? Like first and 10 against this personnel. We've got, you know, second and seven to 10 against this personnel. You know, you do this on defense and offense, and you've got a small menu of plays that you're looking at to use in those situations. So it's, Like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like out in New England where it was like, well, you know, yeah, maybe these guys have the coordinator title or whatever, but they're getting a menu from Bill Belichick, right? He's the offensive and defensive coordinator. And, you know, not that I'm in the building, so that's just an assumption, but, you know, he's giving menus of plays and then allowing those guys to to work in the context of that plan. And, you know, if you're, if they're not doing that to their satisfaction, there will probably be a a conversation hat. So, um. All right. So that's everything on the KC Jags. A uh, lot to talk about there. I'm really excited for this game. Um, projection has it at 26.59 Kansas City to uh, Jacksonville 24.23. That's Kansas City minus 2.36, uh, total of 50.82. Uh, th- this number uh, hopped over to Kansas City minus 3.5 with the news. Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey will be back. The totals of 51. I'm just going to pass on it. I think that that's, you know, pretty tight to where it should be. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that Kansas City, you know, the in a lot of these cases where it's going to be a competitive game and you've got an 0-1 team against a 1-0 team, I think that's always a big thing to keep an eye on going into week two in the NFL because we all know what the numbers look like if you start 0-3. So I think these championship caliber teams, they, you know, uh, more times than not, they'll, they'll bounce back and, and be playing a little bit desperate here. So, um, but no bet on the Kansas City-Jacksonville game there. So. All right, next up is the Los Angeles Chargers and the Tennessee Titans. So, theme of this is we have got strength on strength and flaw on flaw. We've got the Chargers offense on the Titans defense, two exceptionally impressive units, although it sounds like Austin Eckler may not play, which is a bummer. And then we've got the Titans offense on the Chargers defense, who both look like, I don't know, bottom five units last week. It was not pretty. I will give the Chargers the caveat that it was... That offense Mike McDaniel brought in there that, uh, I mean, there was no way to prepare for that. So, uh, you know, that, uh, and that was certainly schematically a, a very difficult thing to do, even though you would have hoped to have seen some sort of adjustment um, at some point in the game. So um, in terms of, all right, the strength on strength when the Chargers have the ball, what I'm really excited to watch in this game is the clash of the uh, lines. I loved watching Jamari Seiler play right guard last week. I mean, he is just he eclipses people I and mean, he's just such a massive human being there. Rashawn Slater looked awesome in his return at left tackle for the chargers. Um, Zion Johnson, you know, did get beat late. Um, but you know, for the most part played well in his, uh, playing left guard there, Corey Lindsley looks really good at center. And I, you know, Trey Pipkins kind of like Zion Johnson. Well, Trey Pipkins got beat by Jalen Phillips a couple times late in the game, but they were going against a really talented Miami front. And I felt like the chargers offensive line really dominated the game until kind of late when the, you know, you saw, um, you know, the dolphins step up and make a couple of plays there, but 
Um, so, you know, on the flip side of that, the Tennessee Titans look unbelievable on the defensive line. They destroyed the Saints up front. That was, you know, one of the main things in this game. I mean, I was left concerned about the Saints left tackle, their left guard and their right guard. So that, that speaks to how well this team played. Jeffrey Simmons looks like he's playing as well as he ever has. You know, T.R. Tart does his thing as the nose. Um, I was, you know, I thought Janico Autry played really well. It impacted this game significantly. And then Arden Key's presence was critical. I mean, he was, you know, consistently lining up on, you know, they were getting him manned up ISO on left tackle Trevor Penning, and he was, you know, getting after Penning. So, you know, Harold Landry, uh, kind of a quiet debut in his first game back from injury. Um, but he gets in the mix as well. I mean, this is just such a, a fun unit to watch for the, the, the Titans along that defense of line so and then the other thing to, to note on the side of the ball is just what what's the chargers uh target distribution going to look like because a lot of mouths to feed between donald parham getting the ball gerald everett getting the ball i mean you're getting it to to quentin johnson the rookie you got to get mike williams in the mix you got to get keenan allen in the mix they had plays for the fourth round rookie uh, uh demario doug um davis I, I might have that wrong sorry he's a double d uh but you know it, it was just a lot right and i don't know if their passing and attack might not benefit from having I don't know, a, a little more of a narrow focus. And um, yeah, it, you know, you might not be able to feed every player on this offense every game. So uh, when the Titans have the ball, what I'll, I'll be looking at is you know, just a big picture question. If the Chargers can't defend the Titans, who the heck can they defend? Because I mean, the Titans, this this was tough to watch, um, honestly, uh, with their film. It, it's just a bummer, um, especially, you know, I, I, it was such a, you know, Derrick Henry's been such a great player in the league, but Andre Dillard got absolutely abused at left tackle um, throughout this game. It's, it's just not going to work very well. It doesn't look like, um, you know, they didn't look a heck of a, I mean, and then you look over on the other side, man, Daniel Brunskill and, and Chris Hubbard starting at right guard and right tackle. I mean, just, just really really tough game for them against the new orleans saints and then you know aaron brewer the you know undersized center i mean it's just tough you know rookie peter scarazzi i felt like held his own to a certain degree as much as you can um with that little structure around you but this was just a really tough game and and then the issues are compounded significantly by the fact that i mean deandre hopkins couldn't uncover at all last week marshawn Lattimore erasing him was the i i mean one of the most dominant um cornerback on receiver matchups i saw all week um yeah i mean he was just you know snuffing him out like there, there was nowhere to throw to hopkins so you know i hopkins really doesn't seem to have a lot of juice anymore and you know i i heard somebody uh, gosh i forget what podcast it was i think it might have been the athletic football show i think robert mays was saying this that you know this idea that guys are going to age well because they didn't rely on speed in their the first place you know a personnel guy threw out to, to robert mays i guess that you know who who ages well the freaks the julius peppers the randy bosses because they have athleticism to give up if you're game quote unquote doesn't rely on speed you're still using some burst and if you lose that little bit that you have then that could be the difference between being you know a blue chip receiver and, and being a guy who just i mean it's going to be tough if deandre can't uncover and then they just don't have really very much at all behind him so you know Traylon burks was not a factor in this last game i mean they didn't get the the ball to chigo conquo i don't think at all um so you know, it's just going to be a tough go of it because they're going to struggle to run the ball behind this offensive line. They're going to struggle to uncover. And then, you know, Ryan Tannenhill ends up getting, you know, I think frustrated to a certain degree and he's trying to make something happen. And then, you know, he winds up throwing all these interceptions. So, you know, we'll see what the chargers, uh, it looks like no, no Joey Bosa for this one. So we'll get to the, the X factor. I think is edge Khalil Mack because speaking about the chargers here, um, 
I did not think there was any evidence that Kenneth Murray at inside linebacker, that his instincts have improved in the slightest. So that's going to be a hole again this year, um, as it has been in past years, unfortunately. Uh, here, Murray is a great guy off the field. His leadership, I think it was out of Oklahoma, was a big reason people were so high on him. So obviously, you know, no knock on the person. He's probably a great person, but he just does not see the game very well and, and get to the right spots. And Eric Kendricks, I mean, I cannot imagine watching Eric Kendricks play a game three years ago and you come away from it thinking that he didn't impact the game. I mean, Eric Kendricks used to be everywhere and anywhere for the Minnesota Vikings for a four-year stretch there, but he just, you know, had declined last year and has not bounced back for, for the Chargers. So, you know, you throw in the fact that, you know, JC Jackson, um, you know, outside of a, a really a misplaced ball by Tua that was thrown on the backside of a, a, a press backup receiver. I think that was River Craft that JC Jackson got to cover. I mean, he got toasted uh, by uh, Tyreek, obviously. And, yeah, it's just tough to watch, you know, Derwin James is out there, but teams just stay away from him because why would you go near him when you feel like you can feast all over the field besides that? So, you know, we'll see. Um, as I say, if they, if they can't defend the Titans, I don't know who they can defend. Um, all right. So I've got this one at the Chargers 24.75 to, to the Titans 22.12. So that's got the Chargers minus 2.63 and uh, the total at 46.87. So really uh, tight to, to the, uh, the Vegas spread again. Um, and, you know, Chargers at minus two and a half, you know, total just just barely over at one point eight seven or, or gosh, one point three seven uh, plus to the to the Vegas number of forty five five. I am going to play the Chargers uh, at the minus two five here at one unit, um, even without Austin Eckler looking at, at the way these two teams are constructed and how the Chargers are just so loaded on offense. And I think they are still, you know, they're going to keep competing. This Titans team looks like this is not going to be a competitive rebuild. It looks like it's going to be something that unravels pretty quickly here. So I'll, I'll take the Chargers here. And I think you can throw them in there as a survivor candidate too. I'll get, I'll get to like who I really like in survivor and who are kind of the, uh, the get ahead picks uh, at the end of the show when I recap everything. But uh, yeah, I think the Chargers are a candidate. Uh, the Raiders at the Buffalo Bills. Okay. So this is the second offense I want to talk about, uh, you know, in kind of the same vein as the Chicago bears. Key theme, what is going on in Buffalo? I, I mean, they go out, they acquire Damien Harris, they acquire Dalton Kincaid, who, as, as I say, I'll do the X factor right now. You know, does Vegas care if Buffalo calls that personnel 12 personnel? Because the Jets sure as hell didn't. And Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox, I would describe that almost as more uh, in, in that game. It was almost 10 and a half. Uh, you know, like Dawson Knox, like was kind of able to block. Um, but, you know, D Dalton Kincaid is not an effective blocker. And you know, they, they were not able to impose their will on the Jets defense at all as, as a result of, of using this 12 tight end personnel. And, you know, you look at that versus what, say, the Minnesota Vikings are able to do with Josh Oliver and TJ Hawkinson. And we are not talking about the same equation here at all. So, you know, that's great that the Bills want to call Dalton Kincaid a, a tight end. It does not seem like anybody is going to do that. And there was not good evidence in this game that there's a reason to call him a tight end. Um, you know, and not, not to mention the fact that, you know, they're not that impactful as receivers. Um, so the, the, moving on with Buffalo here, I mean, it, it just looked like the same scheme. I mean, you had like, I, I think there were maybe three or four under center plays. And ironically, James Cook got out around the edge on a toss play from under center. And then Josh Allen on the under center straight drop play action rifles that dagger route into, into Gabriel Davis that, you know, is one of Buffalo's better plays that didn't go to Stephon Diggs on the day. So I thought that, you know, with, with the players they added, that they were going to really try to have 
a different feel on offense schematically and try to change up their identity. That didn't happen at all. Um, you know, I'll get to the one positive about this when I get to when Buffalo has the ball, but I thought this looked like the exact same offense with just different players. And yeah, just, it wasn't great, you know? Um, so anyway, um, and, and, and I'll, I'll get to Josh Allen when I get to one Buffalo has the ball here. Um, so as I don't want to go too long here, but so when, when Las Vegas has the ball, let's talk about something positive here. I want to watch the uh, the matchup. I'm hoping it'll happen between Devonte Adams and Tredavious white Patrick Sertain followed Devonte Adams all over the field last week, man. Sertain finally gets, uh, I think a W in, in that matchup, you know, Adams got the better of, of Sertain at times last year. Sertain really played him well this year. I mean, there was in particular this one, I guess it was a, a flea flicker timing. So Adams, Adams is just kind of hanging out there before he runs kind of a, you know, double move trying to get up deep. And I mean, Sertain is just, he looks lazy doing it. I mean, he's just so smooth in his hip pocket the whole way, goes up, contests the ball, gets the bat. Patrick Sertain looks really, really good this year. Um, yeah, I think it looks like he's going to contend for, for number one corner in the uh, league honors. But we'll see Tredavious White. I thought that he played a really solid game as well against the New York Jets. I thought that he was consistently challenging. Uh, you know, when he was playing on Garrett Wilson, it was it was tight breathing for Wilson there. So, you know, obviously we didn't get to see Tredavious White against, you know, Aaron Rodgers. So that's a little different. But, you know, Tredavious White's further removed from that knee injury. I want to see him just, you know, continue to progress for, for uh, this Buffalo defense. Because if he's a blue chip player, it makes a big difference for them. So when Buffalo has the ball, you know, are there any notable changes to this scheme? And let's talk about Josh Allen's mistakes, right? So, yeah, those interceptions, like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like the, the first one, you know, obviously he could have just run for a first down there. And um, so he doesn't do that. Then the second one, he assumed that the backside safety in, gosh, was it, I think it was the backside safety in four in cover four was going to, you know, be occupied. Instead, he retreated. Jordan Whitehead did. He might've been in cover six, but anyway, Allen assumes that he's going to be stuck on the backside of the route as Stefan Diggs runs that seam up the middle of the field, right? Then Josh Allen's under pressure and, you know, we'll get to the fact that he seems to think he, he is playing with a lot of pressure, obviously, um, because he seems to think he needs to consistently win this game um, by himself. And, and it seems to be the case. And, so he ends up under pressure, assuming that the, the safety is not going to be back there. And in that case, it, it would have been, you know, a decent ball to throw up to Stefan Diggs. Um, it, however, Jordan Whitehead was not occupied on the backside and it was not a good ball to throw up because it becomes a really easy interception on the final interception. I, I don't know what he, what happened there, but you know, it, it looked like me to me, like they were playing cover eight to that, which is um, cover six with, which is uh, cover four to one side of the field and cover two uh, to, and cover six is cover four to the field and cover two to the boundary cover eight. You flip it around and you've got cover two to the field and, and cover four to the boundary. So they, the, the bills were lined up with a wing out to the field side. And um, I had the, in my mind, I, the jets, it looked at me like they were playing cover eight and he tries to throw a corner route with Jordan Whitehead, the half field safety, like that's his route on the corner and, and he had flattened on it. It wasn't like it was a cover two side where you've got a really deep safety and there's that hole on the side of the field that you can get like a sail route or a corner route into the safety just picked up the route. So, and then you talk about the fumble, you know, he just drops a snap and then he grabs it and is trying to make something happen. I don't know how he was conscious after that play. So to me, it all speaks to the fact that he is just feeling this immense burden that he has to do everything and when you look at their run game and out of shotgun, it is, you know, two James Cook good runs on draw plays, but then the draw plays got swallowed up by Quentin Williams later. 
it's just so much to put on Josh Allen. He took so many hits this game. He's going the Cam Newton route where he is just taking shots to the head. I mean, he's just getting bashed and battered. And it seems like the the whole plan is to, you know, have plays break down and have him go get Stephon Diggs the ball. And, you know, I'm sure Stephon Diggs is frustrated. I Josh Allen might not show up publicly, but he's got to be frustrated. And I just, you know, the, the one positive is that I thought Osiris Torrance was really solid. I thought he was their best offensive lineman in this game in a lot of regards. He's he's definitely very solid um, and, and strong at the point of attack. But Connor McGovern got whooped up on by Quentin Williams. That'll happen. Spencer Brown really struggled in pass protection. You know, th- this team is just not very good around Josh Allen. And it, I was just blown away to not see them come out and play a lot more under center. What is the point of getting Damian Harris and Latavius Murray if you're not going to get under center and run those guys downhill? I mean, Damian Harris, I mean, he caught like a check down. That was his contribution. So I just don't understand it. And um, yeah, Josh Allen, he can't make those mistakes at the same time. Maybe don't ask him to make every single play. Like if you ask a basketball player to make every single shot, isn't there a good chance that they're going to break down at some point? Like, I don't know. That's my 10 cents. Um, The X factor here. As I said, does does Vegas care if Buffalo calls it 12? That is great that their brain trust in Buffalo is excited about what 12 personnel does, but the opponent is just treating Dalton Kincaid as a wide receiver. So now you're just an 11. So, you know, I don't know. It, it's, um, you know, again, I love watching Josh Allen play. He made so many great throws in this game. Um, and it's just, I think that, it's just a situation where they're expecting way too much of him. Like it reminds me of when Phil Kessel was playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs with a team that's, you know, the 30th best team in the NHL and he's getting blamed because they're not winning games. He's a goal scoring winger. He goes to Pittsburgh. They're a Stanley cup team and he's playing great. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just totally unrealistic expectations for one player to do that much for you in a team sport. Anyway, moving on uh, to the uh, projection here. We've got Buffalo 28.9 to, to the Las Vegas Raiders 20.05. Uh, so, you know, Buffalo minus 8.85, total of 48.95. And, and Buffalo minus, uh, the the books have this at Buffalo minus 8.5 and a total of 47. So we're kind of right in that range again. Um, if I were to play this game, I, I would probably lean to, to that over. I think that, you know, Buffalo. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm just so murky about Buffalo's offense. I I am passing on it. So, um, you know, I do do uh, didn't get a chance to talk much about the Raiders here because I'm talking so much about the Bills. But I was impressed by you know Jimmy McGraw's execution of this offense. Uh, Jacoby Myers took full advantage of Damari Mathis on the back uh, of Denver's defense. Um, you know, it it be tough if Jacoby Myers isn't involved. <laughs> Hunter Renfro just you know he he's an afterthought. Uh, good good that he's making sixteen million dollars or whatever it is this year. So was he hurt? Like I didn't see that, but um you know I, I did like oh, what I saw from the Raiders there, and then Max Crosby with another really good game. And man, that their, their slot Nate Hobbs is such a dude. I love watching Nate Hobbs play football. Every time he's in the frame, it seems like he's making a play either on the ball or making a tackle, and he is such a sure tackler for a slot corner. Really love watching thirty nine play. So anyway, uh, Survivor candidate you still have buffalo in there i'm not playing them because you know i just don't feel great about this but at the same time there's a reason that this line is what it is and you know the raiders despite getting the the win against the denver broncos there are still some you know notable talent deficiencies on this roster so uh you know we'll see if they have an outside cornerback who can hang with Stephon Diggs. um all right new york giants at arizona all right so key theme how do the giants respond i mean <laughs> You know, when, when when the field goal gets blocked and goes the other way after, you know, and, and gosh, it, it started getting bad before that, right? Because they drive the field and then they just start going backwards, right? And then the field goal gets longer and 
Oh man, hit, hit what a night. <laughs> I don't know what you say about it besides that. Kudos to the Dallas Cowboys who looked freaking awesome. I mean, their defense with Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore looks awesome. I mean, with him and Trayvon Diggs on the outside, it's going to be crazy. But anyway, so when the Giants have the ball, I'm really looking at, I'm going to say running back Saquon Barkley, but I'm saying this because they have to be able to get this, this run game going um, behind an offensive line that suffered some injuries. Andrew Thomas leaves the game. Evan Neal struggled. The whole, the whole offensive line struggled for that matter. So it's not fair to single out one player. They just, you know, were totally overmatched against this Dallas offensive line. So our Dallas defensive pass rush on Arizona does not bring uh, quite that type of a pass rush. So this is a good chance to reset, but I think that it's just so critical that they get Saquon Barkley rolling and have that modulating the offense because, you know, I think that with, with the receivers they have and, and the fact that they really struggle to uncover against the Dallas Cowboys as well. Um, you, you, the Giants just have to use that formula that they were able to use last year. And in this game against the Arizona Cardinals, which is just such a, a significant game for them to, to get a win in, um, you know, I think that, you know, getting out ahead and, and being able to employ their formula is just so important. Um, when Arizona has the ball, uh, a lot of eyes on uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, is, especially when he's matched up against Paris Johnson Jr. for the Arizona Cardinals, who solid debut at right tackle, Um, you know, uh, no. Tough, tough matchup for for Arizona in general against that Washington uh, defensive line, which is just loaded. But you know, Paris Johnson, he certainly doesn't look like he he's out of place out there in the NFL. So that's great. And uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau was a really interesting watch for me in Week One. You know, I thought that he definitely had he shows the ability to get into gaps really well, and I think that that's a, a positive. Now, um, turning that into a full repertoire of pass rush moves, I thought that you know he he had some struggles against uh, uh tyron smith for the cowboys who's obviously you know kg vet so um you know i'm just interested to see him keep progressing because he moves around well he's got that quickness um yeah still uh, looks like he you know he he certainly is not trying to, you know, shorten the edge the way that you might see, like, uh, I don't know, Michael Parsons shorten it when he's got a puller coming at him, but is what it is, I suppose. So um, the X factor, let's, let's go with the edge. Dennis Gardette coming off a big game for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, this could apply to anybody coming off the edge for them. Um, Evan Neal, you know, just tough game for the New York Giants, the right tackle in week one. Um, and, you know, the offensive line as a whole, but, you know, Dennis Gardeck being the, the big playmaker uh, last week for the Arizona Cardinals and their near upset of the Washington football team. We'll, we'll go with him, um, you know, see if he can't make uh, make some plays for Arizona and see if the, the Cardinals can't get a win. Um, and, you know, just, just as a last note, I would say that, uh, yeah, I think that it would have made more sense for the Cardinals to acquire Josh Dobbs before the, the preseason and, and have him play. Uh, with, with with the team, you know, during training camp rather than play somewhere else while Colt McCoy was there. But I think that that got a little bit overblown uh, when they when they traded for him and, and released McCoy. Um, yeah, I think that Dobbs is is honestly probably a, a little bit better player than Colt McCoy. I thought that he played pretty calm um, against a, a tough Washington defense without a whole lot to work with. Um, yeah, I don't think that he's, you know, about to be some great starter or anything. But I also, you know, understand why he's been able to you know dr get dropped into some different spots like you know playing that regular season game that was for Tennessee a playoff game last year um on short notice um yeah you know, he he definitely has some composure I think he'll be in the league a very long time as backup so um <laughs> rocket scientist if I'm not mistaken so it makes sense that he can pick up schemes uh model has this one at New York Giants 21.51 to Arizona 18.6 that's the New York Giants minus 2.91 and the total at 40.11 um that is lower than the books uh, or the, uh, the the spread is uh 
the books have a New York Giants minus four and the total at 39.5. Now, I'm not really comfortable betting on the Arizona Cardinals here, so I'm just going to have a pass on this game. But at the same time, it speaks to the fact that, yeah, um, there was a lot that went wrong for the the Giants. Like that game went as a Keystone Cops kind of game for them. Um, But at the same time, I think that it also, like some of it was fluky. Some of it exposed some underlying structural issues. So we'll see how the Giants respond. Maybe they could kick the tar out of Arizona, but uh, right now I'm hesitant on them. So uh, survivor candidate, though, I think that for sure, if you want to play the Giants, I mean, this is the matchup, right? I don't think that Arizona showed a lot more talent than we expected. They just uh, play really hard and, you know, seem to seem to be uh, rallying around the, the new coaching staff there and then trying to do things the right way for now, at least so. Um, all right, week two projections continue here. New York Jets at the Dallas Cowboys. Um, so key theme: Can Dwayne Brown or Makai Becton tag Michael Parsons? And and for those of you listening, uh, I just have that in quotes because they clearly can't block him. Um, I, if they can get a finger on him, I will be damn impressed. Um, you know, we just saw you know rough game from Dwayne Brown and Makai Becton in week one. Obviously, everybody's aware that a kid, uh, Aaron Rodgers is not playing in this game. Um, and there's a reason why. So. You know, it just wasn't good. And uh, then, you know, you look at the interior offensive line. I think that they are are just fine. Um, you know, Brees Hall is obviously a stud, but like, I don't know. Um, the Jets, like, they're going to go run heavy anyway because Zach Wilson's going to be playing quarterback. But, um, you know, they, they are also, even if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, I think that they would have to be more reliant on the run game than they might like to be because you just, you know, I don't know how you trust either of these tackles to pass protect at, at this point. So, you know, when the, when the jet jets have the ball, um, you know, what does, what does Zach Wilson look like with the weakest starter? So I'm going to talk about both sides of my mouth here. I was blown away by Zach Wilson's improvement. Now <laughs> it's because the bar was on the floor. Now his interception was really bad. There were, you know, there's that slip screen where the, the screen gets taken away instead of just, you know, doing what most quarterbacks do and throw it at the running back's feet. Zach Wilson starts scrambling back to the right, gets himself in all sorts of trouble, but does show off, you know, some mobility and some shake as he, you know, gets to that platform to throw the ball away um, against the Buffalo Bills with, with defenders coming. So I, um, but the reason I, I say this about Zach Wilson is that, man, he looked he looked like a professional quarterback. I mean, his footwork was on point. He looked like he knew what he was doing. He he just played with rhythm and and some timing. And, and now he's not there. And he had several throws that, like, he either just missed the throw when he saw the right guy to throw to or he made the throw more difficult than it needed to be. You know, the end zone fade to Garrett Wilson's an example. You know, great if your receiver doesn't have to reach across the corner and tap the ball back to himself. But – when you talk about where Zach Wilson was and how unbelievably chaotic everything felt when he was at quarterback and how it was just like, I mean, I hope that he knows the play call, you know, it was kind of thing and, and not trying to say that mean, but just, you know, it was just rough. Um, I was just really impressed by seeing him like, just look like, uh, you know, uh, if this would have been his first game as the second overall pick, I think that we'd be pointing to all the positives, right? We'd be saying, you know, yeah, bad mistake, throwing the ball directly to Matt Milano on on that dig into cover three where I, you know, I don't know. I guess he's seen uh, Aaron Rodgers throw a lot of digs to, to Randall Cobb in practice. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I, that'll be there, right? So, you know, I, I don't know how to speak to that, but I, I did think that Zach Wilson just looked so much more composed. Um, he looked so much more comfortable in the offense. He looked like he was, 
you know, processing and eliminating things. And yeah, it just, it just looked better and, you know, better might be, he's the 35th best quarterback in the NFL right now, but that is a long way from being down in that kind of 50 to 60 range that I think that Wilson had been in to date. So, you know, we'll see how all that works. Garrett Wilson is a stud and then, Hey, we'll get to the X factor in a minute in Brees Hall, but you know, Dalvin cook looked really good as well. So, you know, I love the stuff that they were doing out of that ponies package with, with Dalvin cook and Brees Hall, both playing for the Jets. So uh, when Dallas has the ball, um, welcome to the NFL season. I say that in a good way. Right. But the, the Cowboys offense, like it was such a weird game. Like you don't get the ball till, you know, I don't know how many minutes into the game between the Giants having a long drive and then the field goal block going back the other way. Right. So, uh, you know, I thought Dallas played well on offense, you know, I'm not trying to, to knock anything, but it was also one of those games where it's like, by the time you have the ball and then by the time you get the pick six, it's like, all right. So we don't need to score any points in this game. So like, let's just, uh, you know, kind of, kind of make this happen and get out of here. Um, so on the, on uh, that said though, um, I thought Tyron Smith, um, as the game went along, looked like he really steadied out and, and looked like he was playing, playing and moving around pretty well, like on some of the polls and stuff like that. And with Tyron's body at this point, you know, obviously this dude was the best in, in the league, um, you know, 10 years ago for, for a good stretch there. Um, at least in my opinion, but you know, his body's just always so iffy. Um, you know, it was good to see him out there and, and playing. I, I thought pr- pretty darn well. And then, you know, Chuma Doga, speaking of a guy who used to play for the New York jets, who filled in at left guard for the Dallas Cowboys last week. Good on him. He, he was just so, overmatched when early in his career with the jets when he got thrown out there at tackle thought he played just fine for the cowboys at left guard that was a positive and and zach martin was just phenomenal for for the dallas cowboys but um you know i thought dak prescott looked good you saw michael gallup you know make that catch that ended up out of bounds but you know on that vertical route but you know he went up and got it and you know i thought Braden cooks looked exactly the way you'd expect him to look in this offense and then hey you throw in cd lamb uh, you know catch and run for for that long gain um I think there's every reason to be as optimistic as we were about Dallas's offense. If you were optimistic about them before the season, uh, I don't think there was a ton to take away from, from that beatdown. but uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch them play against this New York jets defense. Cause yeah, I think that not only did the jets pose a much greater challenge on defense, but you know, the Cowboys might actually need to score, you know, more than uh you know one point on, or, or zero points on offense to uh i guess i guess i could have what like negative 13 points on offense and they still would have won last week so yeah that's a different kind of game um the x sector is running back Brees hall Brees hall scores on that uh what becomes an 80 yard run if he's healthy like there's no way Brees hall gets hawked on that one yeah I'd, I'd have to make sure on the end zone view the last time i watched it though i thought i even saw garrett wilson celebrating when he was in the open field because it was like yeah uh, this homie, he, he, nobody's catching him, but between Brees Hall having gone for, what was it, 26 yards on the first carry, and then, you know, he, he ends up with 80 and, and gets run down. Just You just saw the knee wear out on him there. So, you know, we're going to see Brees Hall keep getting healthier here. His instincts are just unbelievable. I mean, he had that one run where he, you know, splits, I think it was the tight end, you know, shoved a guy off, and then Brees Hall's through the gap between the defender and the tight end before the defender can re-engage the tight end who just pushed him. I mean, it was just crazy. Like, I don't know how he sees that stuff but he is he's just i don't think i've ever watched a back like him honestly he's just like i don't i couldn't come up with a comparison to him with it with his running style um you know so i can't wait to see what he looks like this week um as i say i thought they had really creative ways to use him and dalvin cook together these guys are going to be such a problem in the screen game i 
so much fun stuff on this this New York Jets offense with, with, the, with the skill players. So uh, projection, I have got this one at the Dallas Cowboys, 22.36 to the New York Jets, 16.17. So that is Dallas minus 6.19 and a total of 38.53. Now, with the books having this game at Dallas minus eight and a half uh, and, and the total at 38.5, which, you know, with the model there off by 0.03 there with it being very low might think uh playing the jets plus eight and a half would be the way to go um yeah i i, I think that you could do that um but I, at the same time you know i'm nervous enough about zach wilson's uh you know turn uh proclivity for turnovers uh and dallas's pass rush um on the edges that i'm just going to stay away from the game but i i do think that um you know the jets offense might be uh getting um dumped a little further down than I might necessarily put it. Like, I think that Zach Wilson is no longer just an unplayable quarterback. I think that he's like, you know, looking like he should be a backup quarterback in the NFL. It's kind of my take from that film. So yeah, we'll see how it plays out. He's got a hell of a test against him this week with the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Moving on to Seattle Seahawks at the Detroit Lions. So key theme here, can the Seahawks punch back after they just got, Whew, dismantled by the Los Angeles Rams in, in the season opener in a way that was just just not fluky at all. Um, you know, shoot, you even look back to the Seahawks um, game against the Broncos in week one and their surprise upset victory to start 2022. And if I remember that correctly, there were some fumbles near the goal line and some just some weird stuff from Denver that was a little bit fluky in, in them losing that game. Now, I could be wrong on that because there was a bunch of that stuff for Denver early in the season. I might have the wrong game, but you know, the, the Seahawks just got whooped. And I think when you get into the reasons that that happened, there's, you know, reason for concern for sure. Um, because you know, that they were unable to generate any pass rush against, uh, offensive line that was you know thrown together on the fly by the rams in camp here um and then you know on top of that like they just um yeah did not get great games out of anybody in the secondary now maybe part of that is just how much motion the rams were using and how, how crazy that got but at the same time whew, um you know they, they got worked so um yeah anyways um uh, obviously seattle was a, a much better team last year uh you know than they were last week so they the they have talent and we'll see if they can punch back here so when seattle has the ball uh you know aiden hutchinson against charles cross at left tackle question mark and then right tackle question mark question mark uh you know all of them because abe lucas uh i saw went on ir with a knee injury so aiden hutchinson coming off a game where i think if he's not a blue chip player in your book as a defensive end well i don't know we disagree <laughs> so he is he is definitely a blue chip player in my book after his just dominant performance against the kansas city chiefs in week one dude is just big so big so strong so fast i mean just just a ball player out there and yeah you know, i think that he would have had the best of charles cross and abe lucas they were both right both these guys left with injuries last week Charles Cross, as I understand it, is on track to maybe play. But uh, if he's not out there, then Seattle is going to have some real issues um, because, yeah, it's 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 just going to be tough to get anything done because Detroit has an extremely stout interior defensive line uh, with depth. And, you know, Seattle already had problems at the center and right guard spot before these injuries to the tackles. Now they might struggle to pass protect. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's just going to be really interesting to see um how this works out because Geno Smith could be under a lot of duress in this game 
Uh, flipping over to when Detroit has the ball, the Seattle pass rush against Detroit's offensive line. I mean, Seattle's pass rush, as I alluded to, just just really a nothing burger against the Los Angeles Rams, which, uh, you know, not what you were really expecting with uh, Chenin was uh, getting paid and uh, Draymond Jones coming over in free agency and bringing back Jerron Reed and, uh, you know, just kind of all the things they did trying to really load up that front that they saw as a um, as a weakness. And, uh, you know, it just um, did not work against the Los Angeles Rams in week one. Um, so we'll see if it works any better against Detroit. Uh, but that seems like a, a tall ask because Detroit's offensive line was, you know, arguably the most dominant unit in the NFL last week. Uh, their offense is just so well-timed up. And, you know, they've got these short area targets and Jameer Gibbs and Amon Ross St. Brown. And not to mention tight end Sam Laporta, who was really smooth for the Lions in week one, uh, catching the ball. And, you know, I think Goff's got options and, you know, he'll be able to protect the ball. So the X factor I'm going with, I'm going with uh, the Detroit cornerbacks. Uh, we got Cam Sutton and Jerry Jacobs, who are going to be tasked with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the outside. I thought that Cam Sutton and Jerry Jacobs were really solid against the Kansas City Chiefs in the opener. Of course, going against DK Lockett and Tyler, DK Lockett, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, DK Lockett, right? Yeah, just just go with them as a, a, a God, I had a cousin who used to call me and uh, my brother who was named John Michael. Uh, she couldn't tell us apart, so she just called both of us Stephen John Michael. It was fantastic. <laughs> she, she was about four or five at the time. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, the uh, Cam, uh, Cam Jacobs and Jerry Sutton will be uh, trying to cover D, uh, DK Lockett in this game. But uh, on a more serious note, you know, obviously a step up in competition from the guys the Chiefs were throwing at them last week. So I'm going to be really interested to watch that one because, as I say, Sutton and Jerry Jacobs held up last week. So. All right, projection Detroit 26.09 to Seattle 21.79. That's uh, Detroit minus 4.3, and that is uh, 47.88 for a total. And, and the books have this at Detroit minus 4.5 and, and a total of 47.5. So I'm just going to pass on that with the model coming in right with the books. All right, San Francisco at the loss. Angeles Rams. All right. So can the Rams keep rolling in the NFC West? They get a second NFC West uh, matchup to out of the gate. So, so yeah, hey, well, well, let's get right into it. Uh, so when San Francisco has the ball, I'm going to be looking at if Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford can uh, block Aaron Donald and pass pro. I think both those guys are good in the run game, big bodies in the run game, but you know, they both are susceptible to getting beat in the drop back pass game. Aaron Donald will probably be looking to single those guys up and, and get on the, the tilted side. So, you know, that, that'll be an interesting matchup to watch. Um, and then obviously when San Francisco has the ball, just that whole offense. Whew. It was so cool to see all the things that Kyle Shanahan did with that quartet of uh, skill players with, uh, you know, oh, and throwing Kyle Juszczyk, right? So you got Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, and, and Christian McCaffrey. They got to so many formations out of that. They're comfortable going empty and having everyone run routes. They can get into, you know, 21 personnel looks. They can get into Debo Samuel in the backfield. They can get into, I mean, it's just dizzying trying to deal with everything they throw at you. Um and then, you know, you throw juice back there as the pass protector in, a, you know, one back shotgun. And then you've got, you know, George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey as your receivers. You try to meet them in base and then you're having to deal with that. I mean, it's just it's just tough. Um, when the Rams have the ball, uh, does the O-line handle the step up in competition? So I think that San Francisco's pass rushers, uh, some dudes named Joey Bosa and Javon Hargrave. Yeah, clearly Farrell, the latest Chris Puck Uh, you know. 
revitalization he had at quarterback hit that almost uh, resulted in a Fred Warner interception at one point. So, you know, Drake Jackson got the, the numbers in this game, but I thought that Cleveland Farrell looked, looked quite good as well. So, you know, they just keep rolling on the offensive line up front there for San Francisco. So we'll see what the Rams have Um, you know, Sean McVay is definitely going to help them out with all this motion that he's using. You know, he's using motion about as well as anybody to release two, two out well and create quick opportunities. So we'll see if they can keep that up going into this game. Uh, the X factor is uh, Sean McVay versus Kyle Shanahan and just this matchup in the NFC West. Uh, I'm going to get to the model not handling this game particularly well for whatever reason. It's been a consistent problem for years, but this game just usually plays to a lower score than you would expect from where these teams are consistently rated. So getting into the projection, I've got San Francisco 28.37 to Los Angeles Rams 21.32 and that San Francisco minus 7.05 and a total of 49.69. Uh, the books have this at San Francisco minus seven and a half and the total at 45 and a half. Um, now, as I say, just disregard that total being over by four points because this model just consistently overestimates this matchup's points. It seems to do all right with the spread and it messes things up if I change it just for this game and then i'm trying to project week three i mean i guess i could do it but like i don't really think it's worth the time so um yeah i'm just gonna uh pass on this one because i think that this one is lying correctly um it, it, if anything though who you know i i'm looking at uh the rams a week from now uh catching seven and a half against a, a Bengals team but yeah i think san francisco's dominance makes that a little dicey and maybe you'd like to see the rams uh you know well you know i'll get to that for for my premium subscribers on my week ads all right, keep things moving along. Try to speed this up here. Uh, Washington at Denver. So key theme, the Broncos were efficient on offense. Now can they be explosive? I thought the offensive line looked very solid across the board. Um, but, and, you know, they ran the ball reasonably well. Uh, Russell Wilson was definitely throwing the ball with a lot more confidence. He looked just so much more comfortable in this game. And, and, and just as a general thing, even though the Broncos lost, there were just so many more positives to draw on. So the big thing is, uh, can they be more explosive? They had, uh, you know, uh, Philip Dorsett uh, stepped out of bounds on a, on a pass down the sidelines that he should have had for an explosive game. They got a defensive PI where Cortland Sutton got dragged down on an out and up. That might have been a touchdown. So, you know, I think that those plays, you know, definitely would have added to Russell Wilson's numbers but at the same time they need to get Jerry Judy back uh they need to have more you know more juice down the field and they uh, I would also stop throwing the ball to Adam Troutman because he looks like an offensive lineman after the catch yeah I it's amazing the Saints traded up what they did for him back in the day so uh flipping over to uh when Washington has the ball does the football team attack uh, cornerback uh, 27 to Mari Mathis. The Raiders torched him. Jacoby Myers, like, I mean, he turned him inside outside. Uh, Mathis couldn't cover him. He was a liability in run protection. Josh Jacobs got around him on on a uh, on a elusive lateral move that I can think of. You know, with, with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, whoever's lined up against Mathis, just, you know, he's going to keep seeing targets because Patrick Sertain's on the other side. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be, you know, we'll see. Mathis needs to play a lot better or it's going to be a long season. Uh, when Denver has the ball, the O-line held up against a one-man band in Max Crosby. How about the full ensemble? They're getting the Washington uh, football team, Monta Sweat, uh, you know, Deron Payne, John, uh, Jonathan Allen, all look good out of the gates. I think James Smith-Williams is actually a pretty darn good player at that other end, too. Certainly plays with a lot of effort and juice, so uh, that Washington line is tough. So Denver will find out, like, really where they are this week because the Raiders, like, yeah, Denver held up very well against them, moved the ball well against, or, you know, moved the line well against them, uh, but, you know, we'll get a step up in competition here. Uh, as a last note, you know, I thought Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey both good in their debuts outside of when Mike McGlinchey had to get soloed on Mad Max Crosby. That was a different story that did not go well, but, you know, I really, really saw um, also, you know, why 
the Broncos want to bring in Ben Powers to replace Dalton Reisner. He just plays with so much power. Him and Moneras, um, you know, they might not be the best guard tandem in the league, but they might uh, have a stake as the most powerful guard tandem. So it'll be interesting to watch that moving forward. And then the X factor for this game, I go with quarterback Sam Howell. Did not think he was very good at all in, in that game against Arizona. I uh, thought it was, you know, the offensive line was not great either, but, you know, I just thought he was not helping out a whole lot of things. Um, You know, he's just, um, I think he's, you know, he, I still have him graded kind of as backup quarterback here. And, you know, that was great that he was able to scramble in to, to put the team ahead for that win. But, um, you know, there were also moments where he almost threw the game away. I mean, gosh, if I remember correctly, like right before halftime, he almost threw a pick six. So, uh, yeah, it, it could, we'll, we'll see what happens with Sam Howell here. Um. Washington at Denver. I've got a pass on this. Uh, it's Denver 22.35 to Washington 19.5. That's Denver minus 2.85 to, to 41.85 total points. The books have this at Denver minus three and a half and a total of 39, which I tend to agree with because I just think this is some, you know, gotta have it game for Denver. It's their second game in a, in a row at home. They're playing another team that's not very good. And, you know, they were they were quite close to winning last week. And, you know, I think that the, the Raiders might just be a little bit more competent team with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback and, and that passing game. I, I think Garoppolo is just the better quarterback than Sam Howell. And that kind of swings it, even though Washington has the more talented roster than the Raiders, I think you would say um, survivor candidate uh, though. I'm putting the Denver Broncos. So I'm going to pass on this just because the model doesn't necessarily love the value on the spread, but I definitely think this is a game that the Broncos are very likely to win. And I think this is probably your best opportunity to use them in survivor. All right, Sunday night football, Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. The key theme, what else? Mad Mike McDaniel and this crazy Dolphins offense against Bill Belichick. You know, Brandon Staley, I don't like think he's the greatest defensive coordinator in the world in the first place, but man, whew, and you would love to see a halftime adjustment, but man, I don't know how you prepare for what Mike McDaniel did to him because – I've never seen that before. It was funny because there were a bunch of coaches in the uh, in, in that little tree that we heard about on on the athletics play caller series. Whether it was the the uh, the Rams doing quite a bit of this, you had uh, you know obviously Mad Mike McDaniel doing a, a good bit of this. And I'm trying to think who the last team in that tree was. That oh uh, the Packers, I want to say, did a little bit of this uh, motion and in to get to get some releases uh, vertical. I could have that wrong, but it was one other team. I'd have to check my notes, but um, yeah, I mean it, it was just crazy, and I don't know what you do because it gives them such a huge advantage and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are already fast. So, you know, we'll see how Bill Belichick can bats this. I think that, you know, the, the, the idea that I throw out, obviously I can't test anything, so I'm not trying to prescribe anything, but an idea I have is just playing um, a man, but with, just a bunch of rats around the field, like uh, free players, right? So whether it's a free safety, who's a rat, just letting those guys kind of do their thing and also having switch calls in there where somebody, you know, makes a call to a cornerback and says, Hey, we're going to switch this guy. We'll double him, pass him off to me. And then you cut off and look for work because as unpredictable as this Miami offense is, I think that the way to combat it is with a defense that's equally as unpredictable that gives up some big plays, but also just is cutting off some of these routes because you know, I don't know what else you do. I don't know how you defend this conventionally. If you try to just sit back in zone and let this come to you, I think that that's going to cause its own issues. I think that's going to create a lot of run after catch opportunities when you get the ball in Jalen Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill's hands in space. So, you know, uh, get in there. When Miami has the ball, obviously, that's what we're talking about. How does New England attempt to handle the motion? And, and this whole new vision of football that Mike McDaniel has, and it really was, watching their film, it was just, it bordered on a different sport uh, than, than 
some of the other teams are playing. It was it was crazy. Um, when New England has the ball, how does Miami's front look against the New England offensive line? And are the New England guards back? They really need Cole Strange and Michael and Wano back. Um, you know, City Sao and Antonio oh, Mafi. You know, it's not like the the Patriots just couldn't move the ball on offense because of them, but they were the two worst players on the offense, in my opinion, just consistently getting beat, disrupting the short passing attack, slowing down the run game. If they get Cole Strange back and Michael on one of them, it's going to go a long way. And, and this is against a tough Miami front. Now they had to play a really good chargers offensive line last week. Um, But you know, when you talk about, you know, I think it was, uh, it was Zach Seiler who had the, who had the late pass rush one. It was either him or Christian Wilkins, I guess, but um, you know, and then Jalen Phillips turned it on late, but you know, this Miami front is still really talented and they are not, not going against nearly as good of an offensive line. I don't think I would say um, in the new England Patriots, certainly not if those guards are not available. Now, if they're back, that changes the picture a little bit, but um, you know, at the same time, I, I think this Miami front is really talented and they'll be looking to rebound after a really tough game last week against the chargers. The X factor I'm going with Tua Tonga Vailoa and um, not so much in that. I have questions about him anymore, but just like how, how good can this guy be? Um, you know, his sense of timing in this offense, his ability to deliver the ball on point and quickly, he's just perfect in this. Mike McDaniel, you know, has built this exactly to his strengths. And, you know, I obviously if you stuck uh, to a tongue of Iloa in, in the Buffalo Bills offense, it would be a, I don't think it would work very well. Um, you know, I think if he, yeah, there's a bunch of offenses he wouldn't work in, but he is, you know, this offenses you know made for him and he is operating exceptionally well uh the projection we got miami 24.91 to new england 22.05 uh model has this at minus, miami minus 2.86 a uh, total of 46.96 and then the books have this at miami minus 2.5 and a total of 46.5 i am going to make miami minus 2.5 a play at one unit and you'll want to hop on this because it was miami minus two when i did the show last night My, miami minus 2.5 at some books when i'm doing it now and, and there are some threes on on the board already so i think there's a possibility we'll get that looks like the weather will be clear for this game which is critical the patriots i think would love to have a muddy game all right cleveland at pittsburgh sunday night football this is gonna be another big disparity key theme is this a top five offense and defense versus a bottom five offense and a mid-tier defense um I mean, that was my take on it from week one, uh, Cleveland. It was a little bit difficult to tell because they're playing in the rain and that affected the passing game. But I thought Deshaun Watson looked like he was processing the field well again. I thought he was making good decisions again. Uh, the interception, I had no problem with. I thought that he had uh, that open on scramble drill. He just needed to, you know, get a little more trajectory, uh, getting the ball to Elijah Moore down the field. But at the same time, you're not expecting a defensive tackle. And in, 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 I believe that was Zachary Carter who got out wide and, and got a hand up on the ball to tip it and cause that interception by Dak. Hill and, and that's not really what you're expecting when you're way outside the pocket right so he just tries to throw a rope um so I thought that was just you know uh he just didn't see that defensive tackle coming under in pursuit on a hustle play uh rather than you know making some of the decisions he was making last year you know it wasn't perfect but I, I think that I, I'd be worried um if, if I am a Pittsburgh if I well if you're just saying but who doesn't like the Cleveland Browns so um Let's uh let's get into it a little more. Uh, when Cleveland has the ball, uh, the big matchup to watch is going to be right tackle Dewan Jones against Edge TJ Watt. Now, Dewan Jones was all right in, in his first game. He is a really interesting player to watch. He strikes me just his body type. He's very top heavy, at least from what I was looking at on film. I felt felt that way. But at the same time, in pass protection, I think he's fine because he uh, has a, you know. Uh, good feet in pass protection i'll get to he doesn't have good feet getting out of the run game from what i saw but he does seem to be all right you know slide doing the kick slide and getting back on the hoop and he is such a massive player and his hand placement um in the run game in the pass game was not 
terrible, right? You know, now in the run game, there were a lot of things. He doesn't, he seems to have trouble just generating leverage. He's trying to do it from six, eight and get three seventy. He, he wasn't getting his hands necessarily on guys where he needed to. He's not getting, he, he's not going to be able to get down low with these guys. So he has to figure out how to lean on them. So we'll see how he develops here. Really, really interesting player. I can see it going both ways. And this matchup with TJ Watt is so interesting because these really tall, big offensive tackles, well, where they get, you know, put back on the bench is when they have to play a TJ Watt, when they have to play a Michael Parsons or a, or a Nick Bosa, where you're playing one of these guys who's just kind of Brian Burns would be another good one after what he did last week. Um, you know, these guys who are a little bit undersizing can get really low to the ground when they're ripping the hoop and everything like that. It's just hard to play against them from that height. So we'll see what Dewan Jones does against TJ Watt. Um, you know, TJ Watt tore Colton McGivitz apart last week. He was the, you know, really the lone bright spot for the Steelers defense with his three sacks. Um, so we'll see if he can do the same thing and, and affect the Sean Watson because the rest of this Cleveland offensive line, I mean, the interior is very, very good. The guards, you know, Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller keep doing their thing. And then Jedrick Wells, you know, I think he's average over at left tackle, but, you know, he, he's not getting you beat. So, um, you know, although Alex Highsmith should get the best of him. Uh, when Pittsburgh has the ball, I'm watching George Pickens uh, against uh, the cornerbacks, Denzel award greg newsome and martin emerson who suffocated the cincinnati receivers last week this group is really good they are playing with uh, plenty of help on the back end you also have grant delpit who can roll down and, and cover um you know they had that dime package they rolled out for the browns where they had um rodney mcleod and then uh ronnie hickman as the two deep safeties and they brought uh grant delpit down and he covered t higgins on a wheel route and blanketed it so you know it, Man, speaking of which, Grant Delpit has developed into a really impressive player. His ability to cover, his ability to come down, play in the box, play against the run, even being a skinny guy, just his instincts, really impressive player. And, you know, if, if George Pickens can't win on the outside, Deontay Johnson isn't there. Um, and, you know, they're just going to be in a world of hurt here because Kenny Pickett uh, played terrible last week. He is staring down guys all over the place. He is going to get somebody injured on top of throwing these interceptions. I mean, Pat Fryermuth got absolutely hammered at the goal line because – Kenny Pickett's not looking at anybody else and he's just leading the safety there. So, you know, he was off target. I mean, the interception, some of the ones he threw, I, I mean, I have no idea when he thought that was a good idea to throw that ball at Shavarius Ward early. So really rough game for them. The offensive line is going to be badly overmatched looking at the X factor. I mean, Pittsburgh's offensive line, you know, somehow adding Philadelphia's fifth best offensive lineman after adding Mason Cole, who was, you know, uh, the sixth best offensive lineman in Minnesota and Arizona. And, you know, uh, James Daniels, who was, you know, the fifth offensive lineman in Chicago, it's just not helping. And, you know, Pittsburgh was not good on the offensive line last week. And now they have to play Miles Garrett. They have to play Dalvin Tomlinson. They have to play Zadarius Smith. They have to play Ogbo Okonkwo. I mean, this Cleveland front was a nightmare last week. And Jeremiah Wosakuma is flying all around. Jim Schwartz has these guys in attack mode with man behind it now. I mean, Jim Schwartz used to be big cover three guy, whether it was in Philadelphia or, or Buffalo behind his, you know, bringing a lot of pressure, especially with four. But like now he can get pressure with four, but they're locking up in man on the back end. I mean, it is a really tough defense to, to play against. Uh, I think that, you know, Dallas has a strong claim um, and, and the Jets as well. Um, you know, San Francisco at least has, you know, at one corner that they rotated out, but Cleveland, there is not a weakness here. So it's going to be interesting to see if George Pickens can make some plays. Cause if he doesn't, I think that this offense is in a world of hurt. This might not surprise you. I've got Cleveland 23.47 to Pittsburgh, 16.38. That is Cleveland minus 7.09 total of 39.85. Uh, the books have this at Cleveland 
Cleveland minus two and a half and, and a total of 30 and a half. So I'm taking Cleveland minus two and a half at a two unit bet. This is kind of my favorite survivor play. I think that, you know, this is just a huge, huge mismatch in talent that isn't being seen as such because of the fluky conditions in the sense or the weather conditions in the Cincy Cleveland game. And then just hope that the Steelers are going to rebound. And, you know, I respect the hell out of Mike Tomlin as a coach. Love listening to that dude talk. I think that he can get them right as the season goes on, but man, they lose Cam Hayward, uh, who's one of their blue chip players for this game. And the cornerbacks, I mean, Levi Wallace and, and Patrick Peterson, I just, who I don't know. I mean, Patrick Peterson got the pass breakup, didn't go for it with two hands against the Niners. How do you not do that when you call your own shot on a pick? But I just think that the Steelers, like for all the blue chip players, there are just way too many average players on this roster. And I think that Cleveland is, you know, maybe the most talented team in the league and their quarterback might be back to being a top five guy. He is certainly a problem with his legs as he continued to show last week. Last game of the week, New Orleans at the Carolina Panthers. Key theme, these are just two teams I'm still feeling out. I didn't think I got it, you know. Of all the teams in the league, these might be the two I felt like I got the least feel for in, in week one. So when New Orleans has the ball, how does the O-line uh, minus center Eric McCoy, right tackle Ram check uh, rebound from the Titans game? Because, you know, Trevor Penning, James Hurst, and um, and Cesar Ruiz all need to be better. Really disappointing game for Cesar Ruiz. First one out of the gate after you sign a contract extension. They just weren't good. Um, you know, there's a reason they didn't run the ball very well. And, um, you know, Derek Carr uh, certainly made enough plays to his receivers, whether it was, you know, Chris Olave, who I did love seeing them line him up in the backfield, get him loose on angle routes. Oh, uh, Chicago Bears. There's another idea for DJ Moore. Um, anyways, uh, they get Olave loose. Rashid Shahid, who was my guy to watch, gets loose for the touchdown late. He's just so much fun. And I, I do, I'm not digging the 22 that I keep writing down 89 in my notes, but, um, and, and then Michael Thomas getting back in the mix, you know, they're, they, They've got options in New Orleans. So, you know, I'm just interested to see how they play against the Carolina secondary that won't have J.C. Horn. So um, we'll see. Uh, when Carolina has the ball, do the Panthers receivers create any um, breathing room? Because New Orleans corners were suffocating last week. Alante Taylor looks great in the slot. Paulson Adebo playing really well at the uh, one outside corner. And they just played sides uh, last week um, in, in against the Titans with, with Paulson Adebo playing that left cornerback spot. And uh, Marshawn Lattimore just completely shutting down uh, on, on the defensive right cornerback spot, right? So, uh, you know, different if you're uh, calling it defense or offense. So, you know, I just... It was a really tough day for, for the Tennessee Titans receivers trying to get any sort of breathing room against those cornerbacks. The Carolina Panthers, outside of the name I'm going to talk about for the X Factor, I don't think they've got the guys to get open against this. And so, you know, it could be on Hayden Hurst was kind of the best target they had last week, and it could be that again. So X Factor, though, Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo burned uh, Trey Flowers for a po on a post route for what could have been a 99-yard score to tie the Carolina-Atlanta game last week. He's got some juice. He's still working through some of the route running stuff, everything like that. He's a developing player. But if the Panthers are going to get something going with the receiver, I think it's through Jonathan Mingo. Uh, projection for this one. New Orleans 21.92 to Carolina 21.57. Uh, New Orleans minus 0 0.35 and, and total of 43.4. Uh, the books have this at New Orleans minus three and a total of 40. I'm going to pass on everything because as I say, I feel like I'm just feeling these teams out. But to me, the Carolina had the worst loss and Atlanta had the worst win last week in terms of the Panthers just left so much on the field. Um, Bryce Young. Oh, I didn't get to talk about him. So let's talk about him to finish up the show here. You know, I thought that he played really well overall. Um, there are some notable exceptions to that statement. Um, but in general, he showed the ability to process NFL passing games, to work through some different concepts, to work, you know, from one receiver to the next. I thought all that looked good. 
the size did not strike me as a huge issue. He's got good scrambling ability and he has a good understanding of where his body is in space. So I think he's going to be okay in those respects. Now the interceptions, the first one, that was a crazy bait by the, the Atlanta Falcons and Jesse Bates played it really well. It took me watching it back several times to figure out what the heck had happened because I'm sitting there thinking it looks like cover six, if I'm remembering this correctly. And, you know, the, and, kind of looking at it looking at it and they're working the cover six side right and jesse bates ends up coming across from the field side and stepping in front of the route for the interception and looking back at it i realized eventually it, it looked like that and it looked like it was cover four to the front but i think they were just playing that as essentially a two-man side and jesse bates was just a free player basically so that you could call that a, a man rat side whatever you want to call it but they were just manned up to the field and jesse bates was free so when he cut back against that route like i was yeah, it took me a while. I was like, is he just freelancing? Did he see it that well? What made him? And then I ultimately determined he was just free. Um, the second one, Jesse Bates is the free safety. And there, and Bryce Young tries to throw a dig route, which looks like it's open because AJ Terrell let it look like it was open because he's got a free safety in the middle of the field. And as a cornerback, you use either the sideline or the safety as your friend. So AJ Terrell is an outside leverage cornerback on this dig route that Bryce Young ends up throwing. So yeah, that part looks open because AJ Terrell is playing outside to force the route inside. He's forcing it inside because Jesse Bates is coming downhill. Bryce Young will definitely learn from both of those. The second one is just a clear rookie mistake. I mean, that's just one that can't happen for an NFL quarterback. You can't throw a dig into man free with, with the free safety rolling down on you. But the first one, that'll be something he learns from and uh, you know, something that probably Jordan Love is learning from right now as well, because you will want to be alerted for that against the Atlanta Falcons because Jesse Bates can make some plays on the ball. So anyway, passing on that one. So week two summary, our survivor picks. My favorites are Cleveland, Cincinnati against, you know, just an injured Baltimore Ravens team. Um, and then I like Tampa Bay against the Chicago team that looks like they stink again. And then, you know, I like the Green Bay Packers against an Atlanta Falcons team that I think is, is definitely overrated. So all four of those teams I like as favorites. If you're looking for a get ahead play, Denver. The Washington game may be the best opportunity to use them this week. Keep all your good teams in your pocket moving forward. Um, and, and then the other get-ahead plays would be the Los Angeles Chargers and the New York Giants. The Chargers are playing in, in just a tough division. And with that defense, I don't know how the season's going to go, but that Titans team just looks, oh man, they just look like they're on the ropes here. We'll see. You know, I think Mike Vrabel will rise again, but th this current iteration of the team, I, I don't know. And, and then the last one is the New York Giants playing Arizona. So Buffalo, I have listed in the show. I, I left that off. Like I say, I'm just, I'm nervous, man. Um, I, I, I really want to see what they do differently this week because Josh Allen's going to get hurt at some point here. And, and it's just a sad thing to say. All right, so our bet summary here, we've got Cincinnati minus three at two units. We've got Cleveland minus two and a half at two units. We've got the Green Bay money line plus 114 at two units. The Chargers, the Bucks, and the Dolphins all minus two and a half, all at one unit. And then flipping it over for our totals, Green Bay, Atlanta over 40 and a half at one unit. And then we're also going to throw in the Chicago Tampa Bay game under 41 at one unit. As I noted with that, we are playing the rain in that game. So if you can get a solid number on the second half, play that. When I was looking at DraftKings, I added up their numbers for the four total four quarters. Uh, numbers add up to 39. So I don't necessarily want to play those unders on those quarters. So do be aware that you get good value on, on it and you're not getting, you know, a slanted thing. Uh, but yeah, if you can get a good number on the second half, you can get 20 and a half for the second half. I would take that under. You can even play the first half against the second half on a site like DraftKings. You could do that as well, but I would stay away from that just because I don't want something fluky to happen in this game. And you just never know. You 
teams get what on average five and a half drives a half <laughs> if you're calling it 11 for the game so it, it's not a lot of margin for error so anyways uh yeah we're up uh, about half a unit uh, in real book numbers after week one so we're, we're we're alive and still swinging and hopefully everything we learned uh from week one film review will be helpful with these bets here uh we'll, we'll let it ride tomorrow it'll be a great sunday so uh thanks for watching everybody uh you know go long as always but you know I, uh, ho hopefully you all enjoy this and uh, as i say i'll be back with some subscriber questions and also check out my dfs uh written article later today